welcome to another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore, Jocelyn Gotto, and James Kazina. This podcast is an all-in-one devotional, essential for anyone trying to figure out how to follow Jesus in today's world. Each month, we'll release four different episodes, including stories from the field, preaching, and conversations with special guests. For more information, head over to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. Here's today's episode. Hey everybody, James Kazina here with Mike Gore from Open Doors Australia. Thanks to everyone who's already jumping on to view this incredible interview coming up with Pastor Mark and Jemima Varaghese from Kingdom City. I can see they're in the wings ready to go. But Mike, maybe you just want to give a bit of a shout out to everyone that's watching. Great to have you all here and please comment. Let us know where you're from. Uh, it's a real privilege to be able to host these conversations and, and hopefully ask questions that will help us all be better leaders, better followers of Christ, no matter where we find ourselves. I imagine we'll have a couple of people viewing from Western Australia. Pastor Mark and Jeremy lead a great church over there uh, in Perth, but also right through uh, Malaysia, Singapore. They've got campuses in London all over the place. We're really praying that today uh, challenges you and inspires you. I know Pastor Mark and Jen are just incredible sort of thought leaders in this space uh, in Australia, you know, really helping people follow Jesus. And so today as Mike interviews them, uh, we want this to be something that encourages you in the season that you're walking through today. But look, I don't want to waste any more time because I know Mark and Jen uh, are ready for us here today. So why don't we, uh, wherever you are, just get ready to sort of uh, receive from, you know, what the Lord has for you today as they share in this conversation. Well, Pastors Mark and Jemima, it's great to have you here. Welcome to our Conversations with Open Doors. Great to be here, Mike. Thanks for the opportunity. Thanks for including us. No worries. Well, man, you're on the other side of the country, but we're all both in lockdown as such. So, you know, 2020. The last time I saw you, Mark, was uh, it was in Malaysia, wasn't it? The Planet Shakers Conference. And yeah. then you sort of come forward, what, three or four months from there, and our world looks totally different. It does. And, uh, yeah, we're very blessed in our context but uh, yeah, the world definitely has changed a lot and uh, is still changing on a fairly regular basis. Yeah, absolutely. Hey, look, um, thanks so much for joining us today. And, and one of the things that we really try and do through conversations is just help people follow Jesus, no matter where they find themselves all over the world. We say no matter the cost. And I know you guys have a deep and rich connection to the ministry of Open Doors. But Jemima, I might ask you a question first. I mean, I think your connection to Open Doors are probably well and truly trumps my time with Open Doors. But how did you sort of bump into this ministry? Um, well, I was a missionary kid, so I grew up uh, in the Philippines and we had some missionaries uh, with Open Doors. I see Mr. Keeney is on um, Facebook right now. Shout out to Mr. Keeney. I grew up with his children and uh, was quite close with one of his daughters. And so I knew the stories of Brother Andrew and Open Doors and all the things that he used to do. He's a bit of a legend in the missionary world back then. So very familiar with Open Doors and what they did and what they used to do or what they did back then. And then, of course, James Kazina coming on, um, who was a good friend of ours. He was at our wedding and uh, was friends with him back in Queensland. So when he joined, that was like a link that was tighter, but love the cause of Open Doors completely. Yeah, that's awesome. Look, I, I knew that Dean would be watching. And he, te- he speaks about you like he's this loving kind of father, um, <laughs> tells us all about how you slept on the couch and stuff like that. And so... <laughs> he, he started the Ministry of Open Doors in yes. 1978. Wow. He's still working with us today, Jemima. He still comes in every single week and, uh, and works with us. So it's great to, 
to have him watching you today, I think. It's, he'll be really proud about that. Oh, we love Mr. Keeney. Thank you. Now, Mark, I've got a couple of questions written down for each of you guys today because I'm hoping that um, we will be able to really help people sort of wrestle through what has been a year of uncertainty at best. But what I always love is that we would say that the persecuted church, in so many ways, they're some of the best spiritual mentors you could want because they're people who have ultimately, they've overcome the bonds of society and culture to remain courageously close to Jesus. And, and I'd love to ask you just a question around leadership. I mean, I remember when I took on the mantle of CEO at Open Doors, someone said to me, the first person through the wall always gets bloodied. And I thought, man, that is a brutal picture. But they said, Mike, anyone who wants to kind of lead in a visionary sense, you're always going to take a few knocks and a, a few sort of bumps along the way. But when I look at the way that you've led Kingdom City, but more than that, faith across multiple countries, you're probably one of the more um, forthright people when it comes to discussing a theology of suffering and persecution. It's somewhat um, disassociating, I guess, the Western notion of faith that would say Jesus is around materialism and blessing. My question for you, has that been a hard road for you to walk? And why, why is it that you believe a theology of suffering and persecution is kind of essential to Western faith. Yeah, look, I think one of the uniquenesses about our journey is we were both third culture kids. We've been exposed to other cultures and other environments. Uh, we have not been monoculture, not just in terms of ethnicity, but even in terms of my experience with God. Like I was brought up in a very conservative traditional church and there's some really wonderful people in that. And yet then I've also been in the, the most charismatic of settings. And so I think the spectrum of life, the spectrum of church, the spectrum of experience, um, I still think we are far from authority figures on this because we live in, very much in a first world setting. And uh, even though our church is now expanding into developing worlds, countries like not only Cambodia, but also varying settings where there's persecution in terms of, uh, you know, religious faith, as well as all of those, uh, you know, uh, normal scenarios. I think it just broadens your horizon and it gives you a holistic perspective. Um, there is a, a huge part of the scripture when it talks about suffering and persecution, not for the sake of suffering and persecution, but in terms of what it produces. You know, in James chapter 1, uh, there's trials and hardship that produce things. So nobody goes around saying, gee, Lord, I pray for more on my own life because it's almost sadistic to think like that. And it's, but yet at the same time, Paul said, oh, I long for, to, to know the sufferings of Christ as much as the high points. And I think there clearly must be something in there that maybe we haven't really um, learned from enough. And I definitely think it gives you a holistic experience. You started out the show talking about Darlene's journey with cancer. There's something about suffering. Nobody goes, yeah, I'd like that. But yet when you go through that, you come out richer, deeper. And so it's not something to avoid um, because you, you, you fear it, but we should just trust God enough that every person, no matter the setting they're in, actually has something to contribute. And I just feel, and maybe we've just felt because of our journey and our varied experience, that the minute you lose touch with people who are going through things that you're not going through, you actually lessen your credibility, authority, and it doesn't mean that everyone in first world has to live in third world and everyone in developing world. It's not about that. It's just about just a God kind of love and appreciation. And clearly, if God can use everybody in any setting, uh, we should learn from any and every setting, including persecution and suffering. I think it's beautiful. You know, suffering is so, it's not so much the absence of the gospel, but it's the essence 
of the gospel. And what I love that you, t- you touched on a minute ago, it's not actually about being that authority or that voice in it, because the reality is, is that faith is only ever something that grows stronger with age. We're learning as we go. But what we want to do, as you said, is make sure that um, we have a cultural appreciation. I think that sort of leads me to my next question around this, because one of the things I've noticed in the, the difference, I guess you could say, between the persecuted church or the, the field countries that Open Doors works in, then the Western countries that we work in as far as education and awareness goes, is that often in Western countries, you can find what I would, I would call a monocultural church, but, mm. but not monocultural in the sense of a skin tone kind of church. Right. You know, in Israel and Palestine, one of the biggest areas of work for um, the ministry is actually associating Muslim background believers with the evangelical church. Why? Because I remember meeting with one uh, lady called Sally from Palestine, and she said when she was a Muslim, she used to pray five times a day to a God who terrified her. And then mm. she said, when I met God, Jesus, a God of grace who reached down to me, I prayed 10 times a day. And she started to talk to me about a church in the Middle East that was rising up. And she says, we learn the scriptures cover to cover. We're bold and passionate evangelists, but without the extremism. We pray five times a day with a prayer mat on the floor, but facing Jerusalem. During Ramadan, we fast for a whole month in pursuit of Jesus. But then I went to the church and they told me to pray once a day. How after spending a lifetime seeking God, expect me to express it the only way I know how? And so for us in that ministry area, there's a real wrestle that we indoctrinate people to the church rather than introduce them to Jesus and therefore let them express it the only way I know how. Now with Kingdom City, uh, at, at the moment, I think you're in 13 countries across 27 locations, and you've been incredibly successful in creating a multicultural, when it comes to expression, church. How on earth have you pulled that off? Man, that, that story alone is <laughs> worth uh, everything what you just shared about yeah, Sally. Um, I think uh, that you've got to distinguish between kingdom principle and personal preference or cultural preference. So the fact that we're in diverse settings forces us to assess on a fairly regular basis, like you said, a church that says pray one time a day might have a good reason for coming up with that mantra based on maybe the people they've won or their whatever, you know, so I don't want to cr- criticize that. But to, to, to narrow stuff down to method and to narrow stuff down to this is how we do it instantly limits your scope of influence and ability. So that's the story of Sally. It's just, just amazing. It's a brilliant example of how you've got to lead in multiple settings with that sort of openness. And what uh, you often lose in alignment, or it has to be done this way because this is the way we do it, uh, you've got to have contextual awareness or the, the, the sallies of the world, so to speak, you might actually shrink their faith and stifle their uh, boldness because of, well, this is, not, this is not how Kingdom City does it or this is not how we do it. So I guess in our setting, without taking too long to answer the question, once you know the difference between a principle and a preference, you hold your ground with principle, but you give diverse expression to preference. Yeah. We live in a world that's getting a little, getting all of that a bit confused. So God calls principles uh, things from his word, and the world is now calling some of those principles preferences. For example, God calls in his word marriage is between a man and a woman for life. That's his principle. Now, I know we're in a broken world. But that's the principle. The world calls that a preference. You pick who you want, how you want, when you want, how you... So yet at the same time, we have pastors who are making principles out of their preferences. So in other words, this is how I do life. This is how 
we do it. And so then what you do is you stifle the diversity and the creativity. Hospitality is a principle of the kingdom, but what cuisine you serve is a preference. Generosity is a principle of the kingdom, but how much you put in the offering is going to be very much contextual depending on who and what. So I think when you decide to not die on the hills of preference and just stick through to what works in terms of principle, because the gospel transcends time, tribe, color, socioeconomic setting, even persecution. The gospel is higher than any setting you find yourself in. And so really the travel for, for us in, in, the, in the days we could do it and the, the multiple settings has acted like as a sieve to sift out what is really principle that we should hold on to and fight for that applies in any culture because the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It should work in any setting. And what's preference? And if you start putting preference on different settings, you're going to kill it. Man, look, if you're watching this online, I promise you, when this finishes, rewind it and listen to that answer. Because principle and preference, man, that is an incredible delineation. Because I remember Mark Sally also said to me, she's like, basically, there's this new kind of Christianity or expression of faith rising up within the Muslim background world that pushes the idea of conventional Christianity to its limits. And what I see in Western cultures, particularly even in my own church context, is that when anyone comes in with an alternate preference to how they worship or to how they engage, we actually confuse it with principle. I've never heard it put like that. And mm -hmm. there can be a fracturing in the church. And mm -hmm. what you see is a split um, a bickering between denominations. And in those moments, some of the greatest persecutors of the modern church become Christian. Because what happens is we start debating principles versus preferences and everything in between. And next thing you know, we've got a church divided amongst itself. Uh, so true. And I think that's part of the problem because we read, say, Matthew 6 and say, Jesus said, when you pray, go into your room and shut your door. And some people will say, well, your room is a principle. Shutting the door is a principle. And, and we can make principles out of things that really there was context for why Jesus said that. Mm -hmm. That you got to look at the bigger picture and worship is a principle, but the song style and the choice and the whatever, that's a preference. So I think the larger uh, scope you can give to that without compromising the essence of who God is in the word, uh, the more people you're going to reach and the more people you're going to equip and empower. Yeah, look, what I think really is incredibly um, versatile and broad with even that concept alone is if we look at society and culture today and everything that's blowing up on social media in this week, right, I know people will watch this later, but with all of the Black Lives Matters and all of this kind of stuff that's blowing up, there is so much tie in between principle and preference. And I think, again, if you're watching this and you really want an insight into how to be effective when it comes to voicing your opinion, but also standing up for what you believe, knowing the difference between principle and preference is vital. Because it's in those moments where we confuse it that often the discussion deteriorates into all sorts of um, us versus them versus everyone else. And so, Mark, I really, really appreciate your wisdom because I think that transcends simply church and bleeds into society and culture today. Jem, I'd love to ask you a question now for all of the women watching this um, interview or stream because within the persecuted church, women often experience what we call a double form of persecution. They're, they're persecuted initially on their gender, but then they receive a secondary element of persecution based on their faith choice. Mm. I was wondering, can you talk about maybe the character traits of a, a strong woman or women leader, sorry, within the church? Because I reckon there's a lot of people who are watching this. They're not living in persecuted countries as such, but they mm. are wrestling with how to be a strong woman 
within a Western church context. I think the strongest women leaders are probably those in the persecuted church. We, there'll be heroes that will meet in heaven um, that would pay a price that we think we're paying a price. Mm -hmm. We're not paying a price. And, and to be a strong woman leader in the Western world, I think is a piece of cake compared to being one in, in a persecuted church. I remember I was just remembering a story where uh, Mark and I had a bit of a heated discussion. And, we were in uh, a very warm climate. <laughs> and so, you know, we were, the passion, anger was happening. And uh, I remember I drove off and left him um, at his, at a house we were supposed to go to. I thought, I'm not going in, I'm so angry. And I, I went to the park and I was so mad and I'm like, God, I, I'm paying such a price and I'm giving God this whole spiel of how I'm paying a price for this and this is not fair and everything. And then it's like the Holy Spirit just cut across all my complaining, like just across in my thoughts and said, you know, there are women on the other side of the earth right now and they're crying too, mm. but their complaints are very different to yours. Do you want to hear some of their complaints? Wow. And then immediately like conviction just came upon me and I was like, God, I'm not paying a price. Like what price am I paying? You know, my, my children aren't at threat. I can go to church. I don't have to worry about my safety. I don't have to worry that a bomb's going to blow up in the middle of a Like I, I don't have any of that. To be a strong woman in the Western world is to walk with humility yeah, and to, to be under authority. The more authority you want is the more authority you'll put yourself under. Why would God give you a big sword if you're not willing to listen? And so uh, I think uh, it takes a strong, uh, a strong woman um, to submit. And women often think that that's being weak, but it's not. It's whoever is over you, you're covering or whoever you answer to is you've got to be uh, submitted to them. And that can be hard for a strong woman. I mean, I'll tell you, our heated discussions often are because I'm struggling to let go and to yield. But I think the greatest characteristic of a, of a strong woman leader would be uh, submission. As, as you submit your desires, your dreams, your agenda, your motives, what you want, then God can go, okay, now I can give you uh, what is so much better. And I remember once we were also having another argument and, um, and he, and as we were talking, God showed me this picture of how I had a lollipop and I was fighting with the lollipop with God. And I'm like, no, I need this lollipop. He's like, no, give it to me. No, I need it. And no, no, we're having a tug of war. He's like, if you could only see what's around the corner, there's a big candy shop that you could go in and have the whole store, but you're fighting over this little lollipop. And I think sometimes we can do that as women too. We fight over the tiny little things when God's like, just yield it to me. Just give me that issue. Just give that to me. I've got something so much better for you. So yeah, I hope that answers your question. Well, for the West world, for sure. My gosh, <laughs> it's the almost opposite of the persecuted mm. church world. Uh, where it's the the opposite, you know, where the women need to be given so much more dignity, respect, release, and empowered. So yeah. it's so funny how the, the, we live in a pendulum world. Yeah. In one setting, you, you need to swing it this way. In another setting, you need to swing it mm -hmm. this way. And um, and guys who need to rise up in one setting need to loosen up in another, yeah. you know. And it, I think that's where coming back to the unchangeable word of God to be the, the reference point uh, definitely helps, but um, that's why we love open doors. That's why we love yeah. what you guys do. Yeah. It brings such perspective. Yeah. I mean, it's it's it, and it's selfish to only limit it to perspective. We should yeah. do far more than that. Yeah. But at least it's a starting point. Yeah, yeah. isn't it funny when you talk about pendulum and and Gemma was a great answer, but the the whole notion of the pendulum goes against our element of desire for control, right? Because we don't like the pendulum. We don't like the fact that on any given setting or environment, we might have to change the way that we lead 
or the way that we communicate. And I think through the Middle East, Jim, and I hope this is an encouragement to you, but if I look back over the last 10 years in the Middle East, we've seen all but a generation of men wiped out. Right, so where, where does the future of faith, on whose shoulders does it fall? Well, it falls onto the shoulders of the women. Yeah. Right? It falls onto grandparents and mothers and daughters because they become the proponent of the, the leaders of faith within those families. And so the role of women to be strong, to be courageous, is yeah. just incredible in the persecuted church. And it reminds me of a uh, beautiful quote. I know you both love worship, but um, a beautiful quote from a Pakistani believer, mother of two, and she was talking at Easter about worshipping, and she says, we go to church knowing that at any moment our services could be disrupted. She's talking about suicide bombers and the attacks in Lahore and over the last few years, the real danger of worshipping at Easter. She says, we, we go to church knowing it could be disrupted at any moment. But then she says, but then I wonder, will it really be disrupted or will I be sent into the fullness of worship? I mean, wow. what a powerful statement, the fullness of worship. Huh. All right, Mark, I've got a question. I need to read a quote here so I get it right. But you were recently quoted as saying, as pastors, we always used to say sentences like, it's not all about the Sunday service. But none of us would have ever dared cancel Sundays to find out how much we meant it. What I love about that statement from my lens, it's almost as though from sitting in the church for the last two or three decades, the, the pastor's always talked about, hey, we're not just Sunday Christians. We're Monday Christians too. Get out, reach into your community, share the gospel with your neighbours and friends, bring them back to church. You come forward to 2020, COVID-19's got the world turned upside down and it's almost as though all of those prayers have been answered. You know, we've got a hand on the back from the Lord pushed into the home, into yeah. neighbourhoods, into cities, into communities and straight away the church is screaming, come back, come back, don't forget us. Um, you know, can you tell us a little bit more about, I guess, how your perspective on that church um, gathering and being able to let go of control and embrace change has really helped Kingdom City in this season? Yeah, and look, such a great question. I can't remember what context I said it, but it sounds more impressive when you read it. Uh, <laughs> but I think, again, without, without referring to the same thing that Jemima just referenced, it's that issue of pendulum. See, if it's all just about Sunday, we actually miss our point. It's like gathering at a fuel station but the fuel station has a purpose. It's to fill you up so you can go and do what you got to do. You know, the car is parked at the fuel station. It's wasted the experience. And yet at the same time, if you live your entire life never going back to receive and to recover and to the, the togetherness, um, you'll also have a whole different set of challenges. I think what happened this year when we were given this opportunity to, you know, uh, work out our salvation with fear and trembling in the context of homes and individuals is really a beautiful opportunity to reset uh, where revival often really starts, and that's in your own heart, number one, then in your own home, number two. And then when the time comes to regather, yeah, I think Acts shows us that picture, that a holistic re reformation, transformation, revival, whatever term you want to use, happens at three levels. And in the New Testament church, you see it. It says they met house to house and in the temple daily. But the one line I didn't really see until this season was I think verse 42, it says, and fear came upon every soul. Yeah. Not every small group, not every household, not every church, not every gathering, not every temple, every soul. And so real revival needs every soul to encounter God for themselves, no matter the setting. Yeah. 
needs the house-to-house kind of framework of support because there are a whole stack of promises that are reserved when we gather together in two or three, whether it's agreement or unity, etc. And then, of course, there's the whole impartation of an atmosphere where we can. But you just have to look in, you know, the largest church in the world, I don't know the stats, but I'm guessing it's China where you can't. And then some of the persecuted places where the where miracles are happening at unprecedented level and salvations just shows you. It, I, again, that pendulum thing is the point. You don't want to then go, well, we're anti-gatherings, but that's, just, that's crazy. But at the same time, because of the Western emphasis, maybe, this was an opportunity to reset the house to house and the every soul scenario. And that, I think, has been an opportunity that hopefully we, A, haven't wasted, and B, even if we sort of have, because we've been, you know, dealing with different challenges, it's something we should never forsake in the new, whatever new is, mm-hmm. when we can regather, so that there's still a real wonderful sense of uh, ownership and personal uh, uh, hunger for God that isn't just a dependency on the gathering. It's like, come on, let's all come back and restart my spiritual spiritual walk, as opposed to. I've dug some deep wells in this season. And when we come back, every person is going to be a gushing fountain of living water. And can you imagine the impact that could have not only on Sunday, but on Monday and not only locally, but globally? I really love that. I mean, you talked about China. One of the, my favorite quotes from this whole period is from a pastor in China who said, look, at, at the height of persecution in the 50s and the 60s, the church actually used to meet together centrally, right? And then um, the, the sort of the institutional church as we know it in Australia, meeting centrally in big locations. Well, when persecution came, he said it scattered the church and forced it into homes. And he said, Absolutely. but here's the challenge. He says, at the height of the 50s and 60s, we used to practice our faith in the church and basically nowhere else. He wow. says, when the church was fractured and forced into homes, he said, we began to practice faith in our homes and therefore everywhere else. That's one of the beautiful things that in the season of isolation, there's kind of a renewal, a rebirth, Mm. an opportunity to truly find what it means to follow Jesus. So that when we come back together, well, you know what? We're courageous, we're bold, and we're ready to go. And so I think that's one of the beautiful things is it's not necessarily a noose around our neck that some people might have you think it is. It's actually the hand on the back from the Lord saying, here's an opportunity to take faith from here to your home. And I think that's a beautiful picture. And I think if we're wise out of this season, we will learn that even when we regather, we'll regather differently. It's not to say we, you know, we miss family and community and the joys of all of that, but the emphasis hopefully won't be about, um, you know, I guess placating a consumer-based crowd or congregation, but empowering, raising up an army and really mobilizing people for um, the real expression of faith, which is, 24-7, wherever you are, because we are the church. We don't go to church. We did a whole series on that leading up to it, and then now we got tested on it. Yeah. How do, how do you be the church when you can't go to church? The way yeah. people understand it, and yet that's actually wrong. We are the church wherever we go. Yeah, so it's, it's, funny. it's funny how you sort of end up having to live out what you preach, <laughs> and you think, man, oh, man, I didn't say that coming, but at least it's now an opportunity to really make sure that not only am I talking the talk, but I'm actually walking the walk. Hey, look, guys, I'm really mindful of your time and I know it's precious. Um, as we sort of wrap things up, can you maybe, um, we're, we're hugely thankful at Open Doors for the influence and the voice of support that you give the persecuted church, but through that, Open Doors as a ministry. Um, are you able to maybe just share a couple of words on why it is that you believe there is value in, I guess, supporting the persecuted church, 
but also trusting organizations like Open Doors to deliver on what we promise. Well, I, I think it's important because we're family. There are brothers and sisters. So if our brother and sister were being persecuted, our blood brother and sister, we would do everything we could to help them. And that's what they are. And the persecuted church is our family. So even though we don't know them, uh, we should be uh, doing everything we can. And that's why we don't have the contacts with the persecuted church. We don't know what to give to, but Open Doors does all the research and they do all the legwork. And so it's easy to partner uh, with Open Doors because we know that, you know, we trust you, that you know where to give, what to give, and we don't have to worry about scams and things like that. Uh, and that it does get to the people. And that's what we really uh, want is the people. We pray for the persecuted Christians. We pray for them and uh, our hearts are with them. And and we can't wait till we see them in eternity and hear. I know there's so many stories. I would love to hear stories, more stories like Sally that um, that we can talk about because what a hero she is. Mm. And uh, I just don't think we know a bit. Uh, we don't know much about it, but uh, what we do know it is totally inspiring and puts us back, puts things back into perspective. <laughs> yeah, look, we we in Kingdom City anyway feel so honored to partner with you guys. And Jemima said the word so well, it's it's partnership. Because, you know, as a church, we do what we do in terms of what we, you know, what our grace is and what we can do. But rather than trying to A, reinvent the wheel, or B, try and do things without the grace and the credibility and the strength that Open Doors have, why not run together? And however we can serve you, which serves the entire subsection of the body of Christ that we can't, maybe reach or even in some cases relate to what what a privilege mm -hmm. and uh the other thing for for us that I, I love what it does to well not just me personally but i think our whole team in our church which is this really keeps us on the humble edge of never getting so um lost in our own little uh world and i think what the, what you guys are doing is not only phenomenal and we don't only stand with you um the other thing I guess I really love about Open Doors, and I've heard you reference this, and I've heard uh, James talk about it as well. I love the fact that you're not trying to deliver, in a sense, the persecuted church from, like, you, of course, you're not wishing hardness on anybody, but there's a purity about our brothers and sisters in that part of the world mm. that we just want to do everything, everything in a human way possible to help them, and yet you've got this amazing ability to blend and balance what to do, what not to do. Why would we touch that apart from get behind you guys, support it? And uh, they are. I, I just want to know that I've invested into the heroes of heaven. Yeah. As Jemima said, the largest uh, platforms in heaven are not going to be for the people who've had the largest platforms on earth. And I don't mean that, again, to swing the pendulum the wrong way. I just know yeah. Sally and all the other Sallys in the world yeah. are the ones we're going to want to just hang around with and just hear their stories because they're the real heroes. Yeah. They're the ones who are, are changing the world in a way that shouldn't lessen us because we're not in that space. But it's just so important to remember that that yeah. space not only exists, but deserves our absolute honour and support. Yeah, thanks. I mean, that's a beautiful summation from both of you guys. I think you, all you're touching on there, Mark, briefly, was the, the firm belief that we're not here to end persecution. In fact, we're not even here to stop it growing. We're here to give people the strength to stand in the face of it and shine as brightly as they can. It's, it's almost right. opposite to most other charities that exist to end the cause for which they serve. But we believe that persecution is a consequence of successful Christianity because wherever the gospel is being shared, there will be opposition. And our job is to sort of strengthen and empower the local church to remain courageously close to Jesus because a well-functioning church, well, it ticks all those social justice boxes of um, helping community 
And that's the heart of what we do. And then, Jem, to, to talk about you and the body of Christ, man, what I love is just a one hopeful encouragement to you from a believer in Iraq and, and a little bit like a Sally story. But I remember being in Iraq at the height of the war with ISIS, walking across a refugee camp with five and a half thousand people there. And out of the corner of my eye, this, this guy came walking up to me with real purpose. And, and in those moments, you've got to be a little bit cautious. But um, he sort of got in my face and started talking about um, uh, this, this siege and the cafe. Anyway, it was a Lint Cafe siege in Sydney. And he told me how his church in that moment, they stopped and they prayed for us. And I thought to myself, man, I'm here talking to a pastor whose congregation has walked on foot to this camp. And then he said to me, well, Mike, the, the challenge is in the West, you look at the body of Christ as arms, legs, fingers, and toes. He said, we look at it as blood, bones, muscle, and skin. He said, the bones, they're like the Catholics. They're rigid and you can't move them. But he says, you take them away and the body falls to the ground. He said, the muscles, well, they're like the Anglicans. They're kind of rigid, but you can move them a little bit. He said, the blood, it's like the Pentecostals, charismatic, free-flowing and always changing. But he said, you take away any one of those elements and the body can't stand. And then he said, and like a body fighting off wound or infection, he said, blood flow increases, muscles contract, and other parts of the body rush to that area to protect it. He said, right now, the body of Christ in Iraq is hurting and we are rushing to protect it. Wow. That's what Kingdom City does. And from me and all of us open doors to you, man, you're in the body, you're in the fight. And more than that, you give us the great honor of allowing you to rush to that area to protect it because it is the hope of the world. And Jesus Christ, man, he is saving lives left, right and center through his people the world over. So thank you so much, guys. We love you. I hope it's an encouragement to you because you sure are an encouragement to us and um, we will do all we can to breathe life into all you stand for. And, and absolutely the other way as well. And in fact, Mike, I don't want to put you under pressure, but we'd love to actually speak to you and interview you at our conference because you're one of the people, not only that we support Open Doors, but just I could listen yeah. to a thousand of your stories yeah. and yeah. not get bored. It'll stop me and everybody that's yeah. listening. So yeah. um, I don't want to hold you to that on air, but we will work out a way where we can actually speak to you. I'd love to. And really privilege to be all mine, man. I'd love to be there, Mark. It would be just, yeah, whatever we can do, we'll do it together because at the end of the day, right, man, let's just make Jesus known wherever we can and however we can. I love it. Amen. I love it. Thank you so much. Thank Thanks, you. Guys. Take care. See you around next time. I'll let you go and get back to your busy days. I really appreciate it. See you later. Thanks for listening to the Open Doors Live podcast with your hosts, Mike Gore, Jocelyn Gotto, and James Kazina. We hope the life-changing stories and lessons from the persecuted church help you follow Jesus no matter the cost. To find out more, head over to opendoors.org.au or opendoors.org.nz. I'm your producer, Bethany Ross, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of the Open Doors Live podcast.